What's up, man? What's up, Brandon? Uh, not too much. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How's I'm, uh, uh, How's the world out there in Utah? Smoky. <laughs> yeah, it's it looks crazy. I was out there last week, uh, not in Utah, but out west, and geez, man, it was it was getting bad, I guess, relative to what you're seeing now. But geez, it was it was hard to really believe how bad it was when I was out there. I mean, it's not other places have it worse right now. So I'm yeah. not, you know, I don't want I'm not going to complain, but, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's changing, changing workouts and things a little bit. Yeah. Is it, I mean, you're definitely feeling the lung effect or is it just, yeah, I put in like a real full day on Saturday and it wasn't even very smoky that day. Cause we had, we had a, like a, almost a hurricane size storm come through here ripped out all the trees like 150 year old trees were getting torn up like nothing and uh that uh that cleared all the smoke out and then we put in a big day saturday and i still could feel it in my lungs when i was done it was kind of a problem damn where'd you all go saturday because i saw some pictures from that look pretty awesome yeah we were uh on mount timpanogos down in uh, south of here in Utah County. Um, it's probably the most hiked peak in Utah. Um, but the way we went doesn't get done nearly as much. Um, it's a real popular, so we did, it's called Everest Ridge and it was made popular in like 1992 by a team of guys who were training to go up Mount Everest. That's how it's got its name. Um, and uh, it just had the right mixture of distance and elevation gain that I was looking for for a good day out, and I knew we wouldn't see any crowds, so what it was nice you, to kind of go get away from it. Like, what's your qualification for a good day out? Uh, I mean, like like eight, ten hours. Right now, it's like a minimum of nine, anywhere between nine and fifteen. Yeah. What's so, it uh, like? For somebody that's not familiar with the kind of mountaineering and climbing that you do, what's 15 hours on the mountain look like? I mean, is it for somebody that's trying to just put their head around it? It's um, walk out your front door and keep going for 15 hours. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically what a day is like for me. We, we, our longest stop was 15 minutes. I think that was when we hit the summit. Uh, we ate some food and kind of just took it in cause it really is a beautiful summit. It, it, I can see why it is the most popular summit in Utah. Um, you look out over Utah Lake on one side and you're looking out all out over the Wasatch backside, uh, into like Heber and Midway and those areas behind you. Um, so it's just a, it's a really incredible peak. Um, and so we took 15 minutes there, but other than that, I mean, the longest we stopped moving was maybe two or three minutes at a time just to yeah. route finding or, you know, resituate a backpack and refill a water bottle. Yeah. I mean, is it, how technical was the climbing? Was it just a, you know, you could just walk it or was there some, some scale? Um, so it was, I would say that. 99% of it was just very, very steep hiking with no trail at all. Um, we had about an hour of 
pretty intense bushwhacking. Um, like we had some like double overhead scrub oak that was real nasty and we are you know my legs are all still cut up and stuff um then from there when we gained the real the actual ridge itself um the most of it was just kind of i wouldn't say 99 percent was steep hiking i don't know if i'm gonna get too technical here i'm a nerd um most of it's like real steep hiking there were some like fun scrambling sections that were like a sidewalk in the sky Mm-hmm. And, and there was probably 50 feet of like technical climbing where if you blew it, you know, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but it was only like, it was like a very short section and it was pretty low grade soloing. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, I just did, you know, I got to climb around some when I was out there and, and hike around some trails and it's just the elevation is obviously one factor, but just the scale of things and um, the way things are presented out there, because there's so much open rock as far as the facings of these mountains where, you know, like in North Carolina, Tennessee, even Eastern Kentucky, you get a lot of the, the, the rolling green hills and mountains. And, um, you know, it just, it's so much different out there and to get some of those views, just unbelievable. And, I admire the fact that you get out there not only for the view, but for the challenge. And I guess that leads us right into the, one of the first topics you said you wanted to talk about, which was the, the prompt on peace, love and meat, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's used for the squeeze. <laughs> I, I had to really think about today's entry and, and, you know, I should back up to say that peace, love and meat has like, I've never been a journal guy. Um, yeah. I never, uh, I still think that it gets a little woo woo with people like, you know, journaling being some magic to unlock things. But, um, I am, I've definitely come around and it's been because of peace, love and meat and wanting to support this thing that's going on. It's like journaling's a part of this and you know what? Like I haven't tried it. Why am I against it? So I started, um, and I, I haven't been able to, to make it a, an absolute everyday thing. Um, but I've been journaling pretty regularly for the last several months now from the peace, love and meat prompts. They've been awesome for me to kind of say something back to that. So I have a hard time kind of getting through my thoughts and I, and you know, this a little, little bit you know, from when we've talked and even some of the more deeply personal discussions we had uh, when I was out there last time, it's hard for me to get my head around my entire thought. So what I do a lot of times is I will fragment it or I'll say it in a way that might satisfy the moment, but it doesn't really satisfy my explanation of what I'm feeling. Journaling has allowed me to kind of weed through some of that garbage, you know, the stuff that's preventing this really nice streamlined answer from coming out fluidly. Um, when I journal things, I tighten up what my ideas are rather than just being like this ocean of, you know, just like love. Like you could just leave that as an ocean. Like, Oh, I love everybody. Or you could get that down to like, I love people that, or I love people who make me feel this or people that do this. You know, you can yeah. really finitely decide what love is for you rather than just, 
in a conversation. Oh, I love everybody. I love everybody. You know, because you don't want to delve into that fact of trying to explain yourself at a, at a party. But I think what happens is sometimes that becomes the such a regurgitated thing that it starts to become your belief system, you know? Um, and I don't ever just want to water down what my beliefs actually are, even if I water down them in conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it makes total sense. And, and that's what, that's why today's entry was so good for me because it, it clicked. Um, when I was writing my response to today's entry, um, you know, one of the lines that I wrote was, I don't, I, I don't, I didn't want to like get it out and read from my notes today, but, um, one of the lines that I wrote was like, I think that I'm, I frequently am like evaluating, am I getting enough juice for the squeeze on the fly in my life? Like I'm, I'm, I'm a, I mean, you know this, but I'm a pretty introspective person. Like I'm always self analyzing and evaluating and trying to optimize sure you know for certain things um but i don't i don't necessarily like sit down and put the brakes on like a lot of times i'll make small course corrections on the fly and keep moving forward mm. and um that journal entry made me realize like i don't like stop fully evaluate and ask myself very critical questions and then write down a whole course correction when something isn't working and there's room for improvement there. Um, you know, which is kind of one of my answers. Well, you know, I think it boils down to, and I was, it's interesting that we're talking about this in these terms because I was just talking to Greg Walsh from Wolf Brigade about, you know, compensation and my injury. And he was like, dude, what I do now on a daily basis relative to the injury I've had would crush most people. You know, like if you were to just come out of the gate with a blown up knee and try to put them into what I'm doing here, um, it would be impossible. So he was like, you need to ask yourself, is this actually the best that your leg can be? Or are you just so highly adapted that you're able to do it because your will and just the fact that you won't give up, you know? And mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a very, very true statement because I do not allow myself to take the time to potentially say, okay, my knee is really good, but could it be better? And Greg makes a perfect point. He said, nothing in life is static. So if it can get worse, it can get better. And it was like, it might be, painfully tedious to make even like the smallest progression, but you can still get better. So while I've been trying to gain strength progression and run further and run faster and jump higher and lose weight and do all these other things, I've not been addressing the fact of, am I optimizing my ability to use my knee as born? That's an interesting right. thought. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. it's like, just because you can, you know, let's imagine that you're painting a, a box jump, you know, you're painting it. So you just come over with a, a gallon full of paint. You just pour it over top and it satisfies the job as far as like, yeah, you painted the box, but you also wasted a ton of paint and you made a mess. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what I feel like with my knee. Yeah. I can go run five miles or I can go ruck 50 miles or do four for, you know, four for four forty eight or whatever. But am I actually, actually improving my knee or am I just pushing the knee to its brink? Right. You know? Yeah. And is that, are you, 
Am I are you setting back? Yeah. Is it, is it optimized <laughs> so that you're making the gain with the least amount of recovery? Right. In between. Um, and that's interesting because now that the journal prompt, I read one way, right? Yep. There's going to be an implicit bias to how you read these things. If you're reading mm. a prompt and you're writing about it, which the entry was still, the writing today was really good, good for me um, to evaluate some things, but it, you know, it, and it didn't stop there. So the second part, now that I've talked to you about some of what you had in mind when you wrote that, yep. my, my answer might almost be different because it's, yeah. it's almost as though the question has been rephrased now that we're talking, sure. but in the way the question was phrased to me, you know, the last, the last part of that question was, can, how can you get more from putting out less? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't thinking about this from a physical training standpoint, which is, you know, a good, a good program should always be written that way, trying to get the most with the least because it'll maximize recovery. Right. Absolutely. But I was looking at it from a, a psychological output stance. And what I came to in my writing was that I don't know that I can get more out of life while putting out less because most of the things that I have in my life that I appreciate and that I feel are taking me forward, many of them have come from the fact that any, you know, I was raised with this idea, my, you know, my father growing up on a farm that my grandfather growing up on a farm, anything worth doing is worth doing right. Mm -hmm. So you give, you give everything you have into the job and you give a hundred percent to every job you know, you give it everything it needs and sometimes maybe even a little more and you make it better than you thought you were going to when you set out to start the task. And what happens is that it creates a momentum. And from that momentum, other things that you didn't think you were getting from doing a certain thing end up coming to you and you, you have then the momentum and the positivity to react to those things and take advantage of opportunities you otherwise wouldn't have had. Does that make any sense? Oh, dude. I mean, I, I, it's, it's causing so many other things to come, to come into play, you know, like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's a really interesting telling point, not necessarily of where we are in our lives, but you know, I, I think for the first time in a long time, I'm not doing this. I guess if you want to break it down and call it honest, it's like this mental self-loathing um, where I'm carrying around guilt or I'm carrying around these ideas that, you know, I've not been given like life is somehow just just because I want it to be. You know what I mean? And right. I think for the first time in a long time, I'm proud of the man that I am. I'm thankful for the life that I have and I'm thankful for the hard experiences I have because now they're not guilt laden. They're more lesson laden. And that's allowed me to focus back on my physicality. I think anybody that's watched my Instagram page throughout COVID has seen that there's been a rejuvenation of interest in my physicality. But I think, I don't think that it could have happened in conjunction. And I think just because of the way that I process things and the way that I work through things, you know, um, 
I, I tend to just kind of stoke the fire on the things that I'm not currently so interested in and then, you know, really go blazing hot on the stuff that I am. So I won't say that my like emotional or, or mental work has subsided. It's just that I feel like they're in a good place. So I'm not constantly like delving into that side of myself. It's the more of the physical side and the, and more of the things that, you know, like on the hike, am I actually getting the most out of the hike, like from a physical standpoint, or am I just getting the view, you know? Um, so it, yeah, it's interesting to hear the different reflections of that, but it kind of brought up an idea for another prompt that I wanted to ask. And I'm curious your opinion on this. I was going to ask on the prompt, um, if you were to examine yourself and your work ethic and your ability to do things and see things through, would you want you to build your own house? No. And that's what I'm, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's, and that's, that's what I'm still working on is sure. that I, I think, and I don't think I'm alone in this. Maybe I am. Call me out if I'm alone in this. Cause that means, that means there's a real area for work there. But I think like a lot of us, I have a tendency to get 90% of the way into something. Mm-hmm. And then other ambitions will start to build in my mind. Yep. And you know, then the, it's not that necessarily a corner gets cut, but the trim work in my house wouldn't be as perfect as it would from someone who the trim work, that is their ambition. Like that's being a finished carpenter is their pride. That is their craft in life. That's what they're after. Dude, um, that's awesome. Cause it's, I love analogies. I mean, if you listen to me talk at all, it's, it's, I'm so stupid. I need them. So I like, <laughs> uh, but I love, I love that because it's true. It's like, you go into a lot of house and that's where, I mean, if you're anybody that knows anything about finishing, that's the one place you can pick a house apart is on mm-hmm. the finishings and the edgings and things like that. And it's, it's where the, a good finish carpenter came in and put band-aids over the shoddy work from a rough guy. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think we're, you and I are very similar in that regard of that when I'm excited about something, hell or high water, I'm going to finish it and see it through until something catches more of my interest. And it's like the thing that I was just excited about almost becomes obligatory, you know, like, I have, I have to finish that now because I want to put all of my time and interest into the new thing. And that's something I really, really have to work on because that trickles down into everything. It's like, Oh, your truck has 300,000 miles on it. Instead of saying, keep that truck, you know, that, that little sneaky voice of, Hey, it's time to trade that truck, you know, be excited about that truck or what, you know what I mean? It just, that's, that's a bad analogy versus your good one. But, um, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, I told myself for years that I was going to drive this truck till the wheels fell off. And now I'm starting to compromise with my constitution. You know what I mean? Because ultimately it's not about the truck because my truck still drives me from point A to point B. It's the shiny truck versus my truck. Attention span. Yeah. And it's, it's really the idea of understanding in the beginning, okay, when I buy this truck, this satisfies this, this financial goal, 
and you're going to make this payment to yourself until this one dies so that you can have that money as in cash. You can have that money as in, you know, money towards the next vehicle you buy, home improvements, student loans for your kid, whatever it is, like however you want to use it. But I was almost willing to compromise with my constitution on that because, you know, time has passed. My feelings have softened. And I'm not so sure that I like that. I, I don't like that about myself. Um, yeah. I don't dislike that about myself. I think that that's a very human thing, right? But if we're right. talking about optimizing things yeah, and you're talking about, you know, to, to, to pay some credit to the Wolf Brigade mentality, lighting up corners. Yep. Those are the things mentally where that follow through is something that could be finished up on, that could be cleaned up on. Um, and I answered this question ironically uh, in my journal entry today because, um, you know, I'm seeing that in a few areas. My, my studies, I'm just ready to be, I'm so close. You know, I'm a few weeks from finishing up this degree. I'm just ready to be done. And yeah. the mojo to, to do the studying with the integrity that it deserves is really hard to find. Sure. The, the uh, desire to, you know, put, put quotations around this, call it good enough um, because I will pass when right. I know that I can excel and, um, you know, there's a, was it Plato or Aristotle? Excellence is a habit, right? Like, yeah, it's Aristotle. Mediocrity is a habit too, though. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you start calling it good enough here, you're going to call it good enough on everything. The next thing you know, I'm going to be calling it good enough on being a dad. I'm going to well, call it let me ask good you enough this, on being a husband. I'm going to try to give you a forgiveness point here though. Okay. okay. Maybe it's that you are such a good dad and you are such a good climber. And both of those entity entities mean so much to you that you exhaust your capacity to be that hundred percent dialed in focused in other areas because you give so much to those. I was thinking about that in the terms of when you were talking and then also the, the idea of building your house, like, you know, if you're this master craftsman painter, uh, you know, like a Michelangelo uh, sculptor or, or, or Da Vinci or something like that. I mean, it seemed like fucking Da Vinci was good at everything, but at some level, there's something very trivial that he would have struggled with and gotten frustrated with and been like, ah, I'll finish that later. Or I'll do that later. And it never would have gotten done. But when it came to his things, like we cannot equally be excited about every single thing we do. Like I cannot butter toast with the same excitement <laughs> that I, you know, that I shoot a 3d archery range or that is, that's a f good and fair analogy there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I just think that school is one of those arbitrary, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's an obligation from the, from the get go. It's like, I don't really want to go to school. I want to be a fucking nurse. But here's where I argue with you on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One, I made a commitment and I knew that I'd have to be sacrificing some of that energy that went towards being a climber right, or and a skier. And I knew that I'd be sacrificing 
some of the energy that went towards being a father, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I knew, and if you make a commitment, you see that commitment through. Right. And the second reason is, as we both know, I love everything to be high stakes. I, right. I want to live life at, you know, with the volume at 10. And um, I don't, I, for the record, I do not think I'm anywhere close to this line. However, that little difference between doing good enough to get through school and giving 100% attention could one day be someone's life because of the the career path because I'm going into sure. nursing. Sure. Right? Yeah. And most nurses will tell you, you know, good academic nursing students don't make the best nurses. You got to be able to think on your feet and everything. But I know I can think on my feet. I want to remember those details so I don't yeah. have to take 10 seconds to ask when someone's bleeding out in the ER. I want to I want to know it. And so right. that's that's why I say I don't like that part of me because the things that I do with commitment I, you know, I want to honor that commitment with the integrity it deserves. Sure. Um, so I think that you're right about butter and toast. Like if I was, if I was standing here saying, you know, like my dinner last night just wasn't up to par, I could have done better. And you were like, dude, like it's dinner. Like, right. Did it, did it meet your caloric needs? Did it have the, you know, was it nutritious? Did it not set you back in your in your goals physically. All right. It's good enough, man. Like it's dinner. This is an area where it matters. I feel like this counts. And so, um, this journal entry today was so good because it, it put the brakes on, on that. And it made me, I, I put the, I closed my journal and I got out my schoolwork and I dove in on something and I re I have an exam to take today by midnight And I restudied all over again for this exam a second time where I was going to call it good and say, I've studied enough. And it was like, no, like Brandon and I aren't getting on a call for a while. I have the time. I'm going to go back over things and I'm going to give this the proper effort that it deserves. Um, And you know what, man, I feel I feel really good about that. So I think it's one of those things, too, that. I'll answer this and I'll make a counterpoint to myself earlier. I think it's really good that you got that positive, like you got that tingle, you know, that feeling of recognition of like, I did something against my coding today and it was a good against my coding rather than always falling susceptible to the easier way or this or that, not saying you do, but just, I think do at times though. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's one of the main goals for me with peace, love and meat is like, I'm not trying to make superstar athletes. I'm not trying to make people big and strong. I'm trying to give people maybe the, the hint on the crossword puzzle of their life so that they can fill in the spaces and and move on to the next problem. Um, And that very much like when I do those little things, like when I get up in the morning, like, for years when I was a kid, I hated making my bed. I hated it, but I had to do it. Like it was a rule. And now like it's one of those like small sources of pride. Like I get up with a positive attitude. I make my bed first thing because it's one of the things that I don't like to do, you know? And it just, mm-hmm. it kind of, I know it sounds silly, but that book, you know, make your bed. 
it really does start your day off with a simple success. It's a choice at that point. Like anybody, well, most anyone, especially, you know, in our friend group or peer group could get up and make their bed that day. You know what I mean? Like they have the ability. It's a simple decision versus negligence. Right. And for me, that was just one of those non-negotiables anymore. I made it a non-negotiable. So now it creates my momentum. And I think for you just having the awareness that, okay, there's a couple weeks left, dial it in. Like it's just a, it's a feel good thing. But the other point that I was going to say, uh, in contrast to what the argument I made before is like, you only have so much bandwidth was I think the argument could be made. And I think this is what you're making ultimately is that in lieu of giving that attention to your daughter and in lieu of giving that attention to your mountains, you're taking away knowingly. So you better give that divide or that gap fully to your schooling. Right. Mm -hmm. So, That's, you know, maybe mine was a more forgiving stance, but maybe yours is a more honest stance, honestly. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sitting in my in my gear room because like we're all home. My daughter's in school. My wife's at work right now. Everyone's on calls. And this was the quietest room I could I could get to (laughs) to do this one. And, you know, I'm looking around this room. Trust me, there's forgiveness all around this room right now. Because, you know, you and I had this conversation once about um, people being messy and things being messy. And there's there's where like my compromises come in. Like there are there are plenty of areas where I'm like, that's not getting the attention. Other things are going to get the attention. I've got kind of piles of backpacks and ski boots falling off my shelf. And 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 it's like that will come when there is time I don't have the time to sacrifice for my studies my family and honestly the mental everything that I've gotten from being back in the mountains again I'm not going to sacrifice any of that stuff in order to come in here and just tidy up for the sake of tidying up when I'm going to make a mess out of it again Saturday <laughs> you know <laughs> right so um, that's that's that, I'll show you I'll send you a, a picture of the back seat of my truck because it's like <laughs> there's still shit in there from my hand at Chino there's still shit in there from my trip out west and there's like you know, my truck translates to a lot more than just a vehicle because I sleep in it sometimes. I've right. had it a hundred years. So like I try to keep that thing clean because it, it's just like, it's a defeating feeling sometimes. I'm sure that you understand, like you come down off the mountain and you're hungry or, and your jet boil doesn't work or just something that throws you off. It's like when I open that door to my truck and I'm getting ready to go on a road trip and I'm like, fuck it's still not cleaned out from the last one <laughs> it's just like a kick in the dick before you even get started <laughs> yeah and and i guess i mean the point to all that is that you know i hold myself to a really high standard my own standard i don't let other people decide for me what i want out of my life but at the same time i'm as human as the rest of us and i'm not sitting on some perfect pedestal here to tell anyone how they should live like this is how I'm doing it the only thing that I would I would suggest to anyone is determine how you live what matters where you're going to put your energy and where you you're you know where you are willing to make those compromises and so um 
that was why I was like, Hey man, we need to talk about this journal entry because, um, well, I'm glad you did, man. I mean, it, I'm it shined glad. all sorts of light. There were no shadows left. <laughs> yeah. Well, you um, know, the thing is, man, I'm, I'm always glad to talk to you. And like what I'm finding through the podcast here is that I'm really only talking to people. Like I'm not trying to find necessarily new people to talk to. It's more or less, you know, I'll, I'll invite anybody on, but I'm, really starting to gravitate more towards this friend group that for whatever reason just keeps rising to the top and it doesn't it doesn't diminish the friendships that I have with people that I'm not doing the podcast with but just like here you're willing to engage me as if we were sitting back at barbecue like we were that one time it's not you're not using a podcast voice you know what I mean you're just you're just being Nate and that's what I'm really trying in in honestly most interested in sharing is people that really know the rhythm of my life, know the rhythm of the way that I speak and just build something here. I mean, I I don't think that we always have to be podcasting just to further ourselves. Like this is, this is a conversation even I would have on the phone that just happens (laughs) to be recorded. If I don't have this conversation with you this week, I'm going to have it with, you know, one of my other friends. This is, this is just how we work. This is, this is what our friendship is like. Yeah. But to ask you, you know, kind of to stay on this same point of, of discipline and, you know, accountability and all that kind of stuff. The only people that I can really think that dedicate to this. And again, I'm generalizing and maybe overlooking, but the only people that I can think that really exist in this way might be Jordan Peterson. (laughs) And, uh, number two would be, you know, monks in a monastery where they're in a very controlled environment, but they have very disciplined routines. Do you think that there's more to be gained in the human experience going to that level? Or do you think that the human experience is supposed to be messy? Oh man, that's a good, um, I've never, I've never thought about life in these terms. Um, I think it's that, you know, God, that sounds generic what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. I think that you end up with the same kinds of trade-offs that you're going to have anytime you would make a decision, right? Like if I were to pursue a monastic, monastic life, you know, like went upstairs, told my family, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to go be a monk today. There are probably areas of my life that would improve greatly from that continued uh, introspection and discipline and rigid structure. Um, But I also would then end up very incomplete in some other ways because I would not have the fulfillment of my family and the freedom of running around in the hills and learning those lessons about myself and challenging myself in ways, you know, I, we, we've talked about it before, but like I do what I do because I don't know that I can do it. And right. every time I go out, I'm trying to pick another challenge. I'm trying to, to, even if it's something I've done before, I'll, I'll try to do something differently to see if I'm capable of doing it in a different way. Um, and I, I wouldn't have that, you know, at that, at that level of, of discipline and, and structure in my life. 
Um, admittedly, I don't, I don't know a ton about Jordan Peterson and how he's living his life. Um, right. And I think he, isn't he Have like, you, a, his book? you haven't read his book. I haven't read his book, honestly. Um, I'll send it to you. I, I, here's the thing. And not to, not to derail your thought process. No, that's fine. I think like anything, you, you can't put this in your hand and say, okay, here's the Holy grail. Here's the new Bible, you know? But I think that one, the material, meticulous nature of his writing. I mean, he, he, he talked about obsessing for weeks over one sentence, you know, and he literally took the book sentence by sentence to trim the fat, spit out the bone and just give you the meat and the necessities in such a way that he's like, I wanted this thing to be infallible when it was released. You know, like you can attack it, you can shred it, but when you base it against statistics and science, it stands. And I respect that a lot, but it also makes it heavy. You know, it's, it's a cumbersome read at times, but I think the way that your mind works, and I mean this completely as a compliment, that you would be able to, even if it wasn't exactly what he said, you would be able to draw an inspiration to apply the lesson to your life in some way, you know, and I think that's what makes that book so valuable is that it is translatable down to the individual's life. It's not like these set in stone. You have to do it to this level. You have to do it all the way. I mean, I think that's how he lives, but it also leaves room for interpretation that we are human and things do get messy. And it's not this constant, you know, kind of ball and chain existence where you have to be tied to discipline. But when you notice that, amounts of discipline start to erode that they're addressed and corrected. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to give it a look. It's one of those ones that just kind of, you know, how it goes it, like it things seemed, slip under the radar. Like and, the hot, it seemed like the hot book for the moment. So you resisted it and then it went away from the right. I would do the same shit. Um, I think I was probably to be more honest, I was probably skiing or climbing at the time it came out. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> it was like, I, well, I'm not I slowing down to read trends. books at the moment. I bought trends. You know, I don't, I don't think I started listening to like the Rogan podcast until episode. It was, it was well into the nine hundreds, eight hundreds, maybe. But you know, I just avoided it because I thought, oh, that's what the cool kids are doing. Or, you know what I mean? Like that kind yeah. of that effect. Um, and that's the way I was with Peterson. I mean, it's like, okay, here's this guy. He's pseudoscience, pseudo-psychology, you know, not really pseudo, but just it's very rare for an academic to get that kind of rise, you know? So I'm yeah. like, what's his shtick? What's his gimmick? And then, of course, he went on Rogan. And at this point, I was listening to the show and I started listening to some of his stuff. And I was like, OK, this guy's at least got my attention. And then more time went by and I read the book. And I'm glad I did. But he was also a turning point in kind of realizing that I am that way. I'm standoffish on trends. I don't. Well, I guess I should say I'm pretty ignorant about that. Like, because some things I want to run right to because I just see the value in them so strongly. And then other things like, man, it's the cool kids thing. I'm out of it. I think that's a, I wonder if that's a personality trait in our peer group because I'm, I'm very much that way. I'm yeah. like, and it's in it. A lot of it comes from a, a fuck you. Don't tell me what, what I should or shouldn't be doing. Place. Like thousand like, percent. <laughs> <laughs> My mom agreed from you and she didn't even hear you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, 
so I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't buck Jordan Peterson stuff. Um, I didn't know about him until he came on Rogan. I think I heard one of the, the early ones and I was like, Oh man, this guy has a lot to say that I really agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might've been why I didn't run out and grab the book because it was like, well, I'm just going to read a bunch of stuff I agree with. So, right. You know, but, um, and frankly speaking, like the last two years, I haven't read anything but medical sure. stuff. So, um, so you interrupt you there. You said yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily read it because it only furthered what you agree with. So do you actively seek out friction? Uh, I am. I'm looking for things that I, I, I actively seek things that will call me out or force me to call myself out on some bullshit that I've created in my head to get by on. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actively, I actively will read extremist viewpoints mm-hmm. to even ones that I, I know are going to be disgusting to me from the start. Um, which is, trust me, there's plenty going around right now. All I have to do is open sure. Facebook and I can find 10 in the next three minutes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to exist in an echo chamber. Um, the people I seem to dislike the most are the ones who only, you know, they they very actively try to silence any voices that aren't exactly like theirs. And yeah. I'm like, the world's too big. And, and, uh, you know, some of my, my very closest friends, you know, these days in the mountains, you run out of stuff to talk about and you can tread, you can easily tread into deep water with, uh, religion, politics, Oh yeah, you know, everything yeah. else. And, and my friends don't see the same way I do. And that's probably why we're friends because they, you know, they bring things to light that I value and they make me question my viewpoint and they make me refine my own thoughts on things into a place where, you know, I either believe them or I discard them. Um, and that happens, you know, both things happen all the time. So again, and this is really interesting and maybe it's, it's me driving the conversation in these directions because Man, and here's the thing that's dangerous about saying this. Um, everything's dangerous this fucking day and age. Yeah. But the thing that's really dangerous about what I'm about to say is exactly going back to how we viewed the question from two different angles. As soon as I say what is coming next, there's going to be someone, let's say, that is ready to jump and attack what I'm about to say just as equally as there's going to be someone that hears what I say and go, man, he's fucking right. You know, um, it's just you can't be at the mercy because that's the way it always has been. For every person that likes you, there's going to be five that hate you. And the five that hate you are going to hate you harder than the one that loves you. You know, so I'll say this. I have and I seek a very, very, very diverse group of people that I don't necessarily call friends, but I value from educational acquaintances, meaning they come from a very different background. They have a very different belief system. And I'll just use one that's maybe a little bit um, safer in this day and age. I have a friend who is a very devout Satanist. Now, at face value, you can look at that and you can feel all kinds of ways. You know, 
I don't certainly, I, I don't generally feel anything. Even though I was brought up Christian, I have very, like, I have a very good compass of morality for what, you know, for what I hold for myself. This person is one of the most, the highest grades of integrity, the highest grades of honesty, the highest grades of loyalty. And I've known this person 25 years and I've never, ever once pointed to them and said, man, you let me down, you know, and bringing that person into my parents' home would be a very challenging conversation with my mother. And I don't, I don't say that to, to fault her, but my, I'll just use it as an example. Her faith is so strong that she would feel like his presence infringed upon her faith. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what I view yeah. it as is his faith enhances my human experience in spite of my own. Because now I have a different perspective. I have a different understanding. And I, I view you very much that way, too. Like, the the things that are so trivial when, you know, you're on a mountain and you're at 10,000 plus feet and it's freezing and the food is low and the, the jet boil is run out of, of gas. Like, it's a whole different scenario. It doesn't matter who you are, what your faith is, what your sex is, what your religion or your, your race or sexual orientation. Like, none of that goes into the play of the next decision, you know? So Mm -hmm. why do we, I mean, just taking that thought right there, when life is easy, that's when we're able to pick and complicate things, right? It's when it's the most difficult that those things go out the window and what you bring to the table as far as skill and, and keeping me alive is the only thing that matters, right? I would imagine that, what do they say? There's no atheist in a foxhole. Well, I would say that on the top of a mountain, if you were dying and freezing to death, that it wouldn't matter if you were the biggest Christian in the world and this, you know, strong back Satanist walked up and said, hey, I can get you down the mountain. You'd probably take their hand. But when the consequences aren't so dire, we don't extend the same offer. I, yes. I don't know if that was a rant or a question, but <laughs> I think it was, a- I think it fell to the rant side. I agree with it a hundred percent, but to actually continue the thought on, yeah, I think that that is why I'm so drawn to high consequence pursuits. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I found myself wanting to leave a sales position and go into the medical field. Right. Um, you know, I wanted to contribute some good, good to the world and not just take when I felt like my job in sales, even though I did it with the highest integrity was, you know, all, at the end of the day, so, take money out of people's pockets, send them home with trinkets. Right. Um, Listen, and, I, I, you know, I still work in a peripheral position. Yeah. sales, And that's a thing. It's like, it's a very real feeling that you have. It's like, I wish that we're, there was just a currency that wasn't a greenback that would solidify this deal. Like the fact that we know each other, we respect each other and this is what you need. And this is what I can offer. You know, money just makes things gross. I think it, I think it makes things gross, but you know, I don't think that money makes things gross. I think that the constant need, have you ever heard of a business ever where they were like, we really like where we're at. So our sales goal for the next year the next, actually, we're so happy with where we're at. Our sales goals for the next five years, we just want to maintain, guys. 
you ever met a sales manager who walked into a room and said that? Like, I think that it's the, what I got warned from is the constant need for growth, the constant need for every business to be in this place where they're like, we just want to adjust where we're at for inflation next year. We don't need you to go out and generate 25 or 50% more business because every sales goal I've ever had was like, you know, they were reaching into galaxies no one had heard of yet. But I mean, but the other thing that I was drawn to, like I'm not just happy enough going into nursing, like, my focus is critical care. Like I want to go into an ER and ICU. Ultimately, you know, I'm, I still want to reach the qualification level and perhaps go into flight nursing because oh, that, that's badass. I mean, that was why I started this. One of my close friends is a, who's who I ski and mountaineer with a lot as a flight nurse. And, and he really inspired me. He was like, you'd be good at this. You need to just go through with it and, and commit to the process. Um, See, and I was, I was, it was like building a house. What's that? <laughs> so now you got me wanting to go back to school. <laughs> like, now, flight nurse job. I mean, I have I have a friend. He he's a he's a badass though. I mean, he's a combat medic, and you know he did that a new number of times. You know, when he was overseas, and then he comes back and like he works in a pretty pretty high like concentrated area of people. So you know, it's not always a gunshot wound or something, but he gets a lot of activity and just some of the stories he has are awesome. I mean, that, that would be a very, very cool part of nursing. I think, you know, and and what I've actually found like through this process, my, that was the only thing I would have talked to you about when I first started nursing school. Oh, I want to be a flight nurse. And now I'm like, actually, man, the stories are pretty cool in like every area. You know, um, I don't want to be a labor and delivery nurse, but I delivered a baby a couple months ago and that was actually pretty cool. Like I, the, the learning and the being part of like something good happening is a nice refreshment, you know, to, to most of the people you encounter are not having the best day when you're in the hospital, except, you know, the mom who's having a baby, she's, she's in a lot of pain, but at the end of that, she's going to be, you know, most of them are pretty stoked that they've got this new baby in their arms. So that like, that was, those things are why I wanted to go into nursing, but also the pressure of doing the job, right. Um, it cuts away a lot of the bullshit of life. There's not time for, um, you know, it's a field of people, the medical field, most people have pretty thick skin, like, there isn't time for, you know, people to be walking around with their feelings and their egos hurt all the time and run into HR all the time. Like there's, there's sick people who need things done. And if someone was impolite to you when they walked out of the room, you just get over it and you move on for the most part. Yeah. Now there's, there's somebody out there listening to this at some point who's going to be like, Oh hell no. At my hospital, there's this lady. Yeah, I know there's exceptions to all of it, but trust me when you work in a corporate environment compared to working in the medical environment, it's different. Um, and, and in my pursuits, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I spend every minute I have, in the mountains in some way, because the older I get, the more this, the, the trends in our society right now towards, man, I don't want to be too hard on people, but just weakness and thin skinned insecurity, like 
but they just bother me so much. They get under my skin and my only coping mechanism is to just get away from it. And ironically, like I realize that that is exactly what a lot of people define as white privilege. And like, I don't know what to do about that because at the same time, like I'm volunteering to work in like, I mean, you, you know this, like right now I'm, I'm working with like, I'm volunteering in COVID testing for underprivileged populations. And I'm, you know, I signed up to be working in a shelter with COVID positive patients, you know, starting tomorrow night. And I'm trying, actively trying to not go to the best hospitals in this area, but I'm, I'm actually trying to go to like a hospital that serves a very underprivileged population. Um, You know, in many ways I, I am making choices with my life to try to, do my part in the small ways that I can. Cause I'm only one person. Right. And, you know, I support a lot of the movement that's out there, but I also will call bullshit on a lot of the movements that are out there. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's plenty of both right now. And so when I run to the, to the mountains and, and call it privilege, call it what you will, like I need to exercise that so that, I have something to give when I come back down. Cause if I don't, I'm not, you're not going to get anything from me. No one will. That's exactly what I posted. You know, I just kept walking until it got quiet and I, I felt very much the same hesitation in posting that because it's like, I was waiting somewhat for the attack to come of like, Oh, must be nice. You know, that kind of deal. Like, man, I don't, I don't know anybody. I mean, I have to choose my words very carefully. I don't know anybody that has to stay. And I'll, I'll relate it back to a story that I met that I had from a kid. Uh, this is probably 2010 or 2011. He lived in Eastern Kentucky and he messaged me and he said, Hey man, he was like, how do you do it? How do you stay positive and keep going? And I said, well, tell me what you got going on. He's like, he named the town that he lived in. He said, there's no jobs here. There's no fucking money to be made here. There's no women here that want me. There's this, this, and this. And I was like, it sounds like you need to move. And I was like, or he he replied back and he said, yeah, but my family's here and this, that, and the other. And I said, then you don't want those things. You want your family. And I said, there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not willing to do the things that will satisfy the complaints that you're making, you know, and I just think that we need to have realistic conversations like if you're not willing to do work, how can you expect to have money? If you're not willing to help people, how can you expect people to help you? If you're tearing things down, how can you hope to build things up? If on the backside of tearing those things down, you're not educating as to why you wanted them torn down in the first place and what can do to part building more in the backside. That's the one thing that I feel is missing right now. There's a lot of people talking, there's a lot of people angry, but there's not a lot of education taking place because it's finger pointing. It's, it's you're this and I'm that we're not looking at the problem as a human problem. I don't care what anybody fucking says in this country. I despise the two party system because it always is going to lead to the polls. And I don't mean P O L L S. I mean, P O L E S the Mm -hmm. polar opposites of, 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 Americana. What is America? What is this besides the United States of America? 
and an opportunity to experiment. Now, I'm not so naive to think that we're perfect. I'm not so naive to think that the Constitution is without need of interpretation. And the people that say you can't interpret this, just how we looked at the same question. There's a, I saw a great quote that says, I want people that hold me down, or let's see, people will hold you down, and then there's people that will hold you down. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to hold you down because if you come to me with some bullshit, I'm going to call you on it. I'm going to pick you up if you need picked up, whatever. And then there's the other I'm going to hold you down, which is like I'm going to hold you back from your hopes and dreams. Yeah, some there's people who will oppress you, and then there's people who will keep you grounded. Both are holding you down, but it's one's with a boot on your neck and one's, you know, yeah, one's with a hug. And that's the other thing. It's like the same way that we interpreted that question leaves me to say – we need to have conversation. You know, we need to have understanding because I, I just, I don't know what the hell happened to where people are just mad at other people because of people that they see on TV. You know what I, I mean? Like imagine walking into a place and just being hated because you're you. And this is, it's on both sides. Like, Oh, you're a Democrat. I hate you. Oh, you're a Republican. I hate you. Or the association of I hate Trump, so I must hate you because you're a Republican. Or I think Biden is an idiot, so I must hate you because you're a Democrat. You know, like you don't have to hate down the line. If you don't like somebody, that's okay, but have cause. But it doesn't have to extend to the person beside them. That's what it just fucking annoys me because it's like. I think if somebody has a particular belief that I disagree with. That unless that belief is just run down my throat the whole time that I'm around that person, if they're good to me, that sounds sympathetic to so many things, right? It sounds mm-hmm. sympathetic to so many things, but God damn, the, the, the judgment and the canceling and all those other things, that's not good either. Well, do you think that you feel the way that you feel because you've had strife and struggle and hatred in your life. And so you understand what it feels like to hate and you understand what it feels like to have all the, all the negativity that that brings in your life and how it held you down for so long. True. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've let anger and hate and violence consume me. You know, I've let it dictate years of my life in, in ways that, you know, you think you're in control because you can smash every wall that gets before you, but eventually you just become obliged to tear down walls instead of building back walls that you've torn down. You know, you can become a monster, a narcissistic type of individual that craves the destruction or craves the ability to prove that you're above or, you know, I think that was a part of who I was. I didn't try to win an argument with with my words and with my rhetoric. I tried to win an argument with my fist, you know, and I found myself in a lot of situations where like you on the mountain, the, the cost was a little bit higher than the average situation. You know what I mean? Oh, dude. I, and I mean, that was how I lived my life for a long time. So it's not the difference, uh, the, the difference between me and my twenties and me now is the the active pursuit to try to rid myself from hate and turmoil in my life 
I hated, I hated anyone who got in my way. You know, we were on a backpacking trip a couple weeks ago now, um, with, you know, one of the guys has been one of my closest friends for 20 years. And he was with me when, you know, we lifted together and, and we were telling our wives about how like dudes would just look us, look at us wrong in the mirror while we were lifting. And it was like, now we're like waiting for him in the parking lot over what, like, why did I want to live my life that way? And, and the fights that I got in and him, you know, looking at them and being like, I genuinely thought Nate killed that guy. Like I didn't, when I was younger, like we laughed about that. And now like when he said it, I didn't feel good about that because it was like, that's not, I I know that I'm capable of doing that if the situation calls for it. Sure. But I saw the situation and I know what that left me feeling when it was over. And so I don't actively look for fights with people now, but it feels like in our society, people are like, they're looking for someone to fight with because they've never been in a fight yet because we have, we have trounced the like playground scuff up. The kids get into sure. in third and fourth grade where they learn like, okay, violence makes me feel like this, whether I win or lose. So maybe that's not the way to handle problems. And yeah, now you've got them taking out their third grade angst in the streets when they're yeah. actually of age where they should be sitting down and going, listen, like, let's have a real talk about why you think the world should be this way. Because right. this isn't fair to a certain part of our population. And that that conversation can go for both sides of whatever issue you want to talk about right now. The COVID issue. (laughs) Like, I'm not talking about the race relations issue. Look at the COVID issue alone. Like, people can be like, look, like, we need to reopen. My kids are not doing well at home. That's a really fair argument. And then other people, like, okay, well, as we reopen, more people are going to get it. And I'm super susceptible to this. So I don't know how... I isolate myself from society once it reopens. Some of these things aren't going to be available to me. Why can't people just have that conversation? Suddenly it's like political and polarizing and they're calling each other assholes over Facebook. It's like, well, you know what I think each other assholes in person, one of you would punch the other in the face and that conversation would, (laughs) would change quickly. You know what I think happens though? And I don't think that, again, I think humans are a one ripple examination like oh we have uh, an invasive species so we're going to bring a predator in well there's no answer for the predator so it just it gets out of control so we only look at solving the first layer problem but i think a lot of the problems that we're seeing right now were unintentional waves from the first ripple of maybe even something Well, let's just use social media as an example. I don't want to call it positive, but it's just an inert thing that takes human influence to become something. So when you have all these people who don't go to Facebook, like I heard a guy talking about this at a bar, actually, and it was a really insightful thing for a drunk man to be talking about. But he goes, Facebook's not like walking into a conference hall where everybody's under one roof and everybody's listening to the same speaker or there's a million different conversations going on, but I can interject myself and have to engage, right? What Facebook is, is like a bunch of hallways that make up uh, an office. 
And if you're in this hallway, I'm at the head of the hallway. It's my hallway to control. And if I don't want you in my hallway, I can close the door and keep you out. That's what we've done with our communication. It's like, if you don't agree with me, not only one, do I not have to see you, I can block you and prevent your ability to argue and talk sense on my page. I can fill my page with complete nonsense, unchecked, and actually encouraged because the algorithm reinforces the people that are like me, pits me against the people who are furthest against me, and shows no one in the middle. You see what I mean? I think mm-hmm. that we have learned to modify our real human to human communication based on the communication structure of social media, because it's not like how many times do you see it? Well, if you're going to come on my page and you're going to talk this shit, I'm just going to block you, period. It doesn't happen that way. Like if you come up to my street and you're an asshole and you're causing problems, revving your engine at midnight, I'm going to meet you in the road. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. I just don't think that people are detaching enough from the norms that they see and experience on social media because it doesn't translate to the real world. And why the fuck are we being different on there if it doesn't translate? Uh, You got me. I can't answer that one. I don't, I'm the same way on there that I am in the real, in the real world. But I mean, you have to, you have to agree that you see that there is a huge, Oh, I totally, I see it. I don't understand what it is that, makes people what why people um choose to interact with others that way because it's a choice like you are making a conscious choice you're you, when when someone types an ugly facebook message they're they're saying i don't really give a fuck how i treat this person right and what is it that makes people want to i give a fuck how i treat every person sure whether i'm Putting it in type, I am driving down the road, I am face to face. Like I care how I treat every other person I come into contact with. That's not to say that I won't change how I treat every other person I come into contact with based on their their behavior, particularly towards me or those right. I care about. But the yeah, I don't I don't understand what where what it is about social media that people believe that it dismisses them from being a human being. And well, I think, I think because you're an avatar on there, you're not a human being. So it's like, it's not real. You know, um, I see that a lot of times with my son playing video games and, you know, he's at an age now where the games are starting to escalate in, in different ways, you know, like, when he was 10 or 11 playing Madden football, you know, the conversation was like, Oh, come on, you're an idiot or whatever. And then now it's like call of duty or whatever. And you hear these kids like, I'm going to fucking kill this kid. Like what, what? Like, yeah, it, it just, it intensifies. And I know it's a part of their age. I mean, I'm not saying he's saying those things, but I can hear. Um, and I just think that, there are people that play the games and they feel a toughness from it because it's like, Oh yeah, I'm a badass on this game. Well, you ain't a soldier kid. You know what I mean? It's, it's two different things, but I think that we are just so immersed in the social media aspect of our lives that it just trickles down. I mean, what we are, we believe. And unfortunately what we are is a a society that is consumed 
with viewership, with input. We're not creating nearly at the rate that we're receiving constantly. Just bombardment on top of bombardment. And you know as well as I do, when you get away from it for a few days, you feel different. When you can, maybe not by choice, but by location and, and elevation, when you can't get a cell phone signal, you start to feel better because it's not perpetually down your throat. You know, you have an object, objective. Get up the mountain. Whatever that means, however it takes, get up there. You know? I think it's, uh, I think I'm peculiar in that way because I, when, when we go into the backcountry and don't have a signal, there's zero adjustment for me. There's just like an immediate acceptance that the phone's no longer a part of my life. I don't find myself itching to reach for it. I don't find myself wondering what's going on. I like, I disconnect almost like a sociopathically. <laughs> like I just, I disconnect from the world so easily and fall into my own thing. Um, but I think it that a lot of that probably comes from that is where my mind, those places is where my mind and my heart is so much of the, of the time um, that that's almost, it's almost become the mountains are my natural habitat and society is my like break from the mountains. <laughs> that well, I reminds me. I think that's good, though. I mean, I, I think just for somebody who is, you know, society driven and could never see themselves spending a night alone under the stars, there has to be a Nate. You know, it's a counterbalance that. And I think that's what we need to understand is we're all really just the product of the middle. You know, I mean, for the very things that I am disciplined in and you're disciplined in, there's two guys out there that are not disciplined in those ways that are disciplined in others. And I wish that humans weren't so fucking stupid to assume that because of one difference, you have to cast a person away or you have to dismiss them as a potential friend and not, I don't say you that know what, our man? peer group or our friend group, but I say the collective at large, it, it well, I don't even know if it's the fucking collective at large. I think it's the collective that they're showing us it's that everybody's pissed off. Voices. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And you know what? I don't think that, I don't think that humans are that stupid. I think that we're sold this, we're being sold a line for profit yeah. or otherwise or whatever. Like, you know, I think that people aren't, too many people are convinced that they don't have the choice to pursue the way they want to live their life. Yes. And they believe that they're, I think that, I think that you and I have talked about this. I'm not sure, but you know, so many people think that like there's either richness or poverty where like my, I feel like my life has been a race to the middle Yeah. where I'm like, I don't want to be that rich. Like, I don't want to be rich. That's a lot to manage. It would take, it would actually take away from the things I want to do. And the the decision has never been like, okay, then I guess I'll just be poor. It's yeah. just been, and, and I'm, I'm well aware that there's probably some privilege of having grown up middle class to understand that there's a middle class, right? Like right. if you're at the bottom, you don't realize that there's like a whole bell curve 
to get to the top that you got to pass under. Right. And that you might find real, a lot of comfort and happiness there, but that used to be what people sought. And if they stumbled into something and had ambition and chased it and became rich, that was awesome. But like the quote unquote American dream of like the fifties was just like, you know, a two bed, two, three bedroom house with a little yard and, you know, your kids and your family. And, and it has become seemingly like from my perspective, overblown into this like life of extremes and the Instagram influencer with every moment being perfect. And you don't have to go through any shit or, the opposite of that being like you're ultra poor and being oppressed by the system and the man and the white man and everything else. And I'm not saying that that's not a myth that, 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 that doesn't happen. Right. But I think that that's about as common as the reality of the Instagram influencer life. And most people are a lot closer to the middle and they're being told that they're not. Yeah. Oh dude. Listen, the, the big lie, the big lie, the big sale is that you're not going to have to fight for it. Like the, we are part of the animal kingdom and life itself is a fucking fight for survival. We just yep. have it really easy. So it doesn't seem that way, but it is. Yes. I mean, I agree completely with you. And that's, that's one of those things. Nature is metal is one of my favorite pages oh, for yeah. that reason. Um, some of the things that you're privy to just, I mean, finding a, you know, a deadhead animal or something like that, that just obviously starved to death or was eaten by coyotes or whatever. I mean, if you don't go seek those things, you don't necessarily find them, but they're just everywhere, you know, in small ways right around the corner. Yeah. And I think that you touched on something that's a bigger, I'm going to have to think more on it, honestly, but the idea of what the American dream is versus what it was, um, and that it wasn't, you know, a brick house with angled roofs and, you know, a $75,000 Tahoe and all this other stuff. It was the fact that you owned a home and you had a car, you know, I mean, that was, that was literally it. Like you had a home in the suburbs and you had a car or, you know, that a was home, a car and food on the table. Absolutely. You know, and then that evolved into, cause <clears throat> I mean, you got to think 1950s America, you're two decades after the great depression, uh, five to 10 years after the height of the, of world war two and the end of world war two. I mean, those are some pretty dark times coming off of that. And now it's like, wait, the fog's clearing. This is this is the chance for America to establish itself as its own, as a dream. And you don't have to have much because we just came out of so much desolation. You know, we had women joining the workforce. We had people uh, donating medals for, you know, metal to be turned into bullets or for armor for tanks or whatever. The it civil was, rights movement kicked up in earnest right around that time. Yeah. Yeah, the you fog know, was a, clearing. People were starting to see like, yeah, there was a society of darkness that was finding the light and we just got it too good. I think, 
we just got too lazy and lackadaisical and maybe a generation removed from the fact that, hey, my great grand this is sorry, my great grandmother came across from New Mexico after her mother died of a fever that came back on horse and, and uh, wagon like right during the, the time around the Great Depression to Tennessee so her father could become a coal miner. You know what I mean? It's like you left a place with 4,200 acres that her father fenced for a penny an acre. You could, If you could fence it, you could buy it from the government for a penny an acre. This was like turn of the century, 1900. And he did 4,200 and some odd acres, and they left that so he could come back and work in a coal mine. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine having three kids as a man crossing the country in that time of, of American history, 1928, 29, 30, 31, whatever it was, you know, how, yeah, how, like, how, how hard that would have been. And that's my great grandmother. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not some stranger in a book. This is my great grandmother lived that. And the life that she had with my great grandfather was not easy either. I mean, he was, a, you know, he, he was a carpenter, but Aside from being able to build their smokehouse and the barn and their house, you know, money wasn't something that was just thrown around. Like his back and his hands were their richness because he could build anything. A skill was his richness. It was never the pocket money he had. It was the fact that he could build anything he wanted. He could weld. What the fuck happened to us? Uh, we... We got automated, I, man. Well, I don't think it's, it's automation. I think that we got marketed to and we bought in to the marketing. We bought into our own hype. We bought into uh, the idea that the American dream of just living in the middle and finding a place where you no longer had to fight for survival. And some of the arguments that I hear where people are saying they're fighting for survival right now, I'm like, you just type that out on a fucking iPhone. Shut up. But (laughs) the real, like, you know, like there are, there are absolutely huge populations of our country that still have never gotten to that place. And I really would like to see everybody get to the place where people were fighting to be in the 1950s. And if we, I feel like sometimes I feel like if we did that and that was, but that also would have to be enough for people. Right. And instead it's, you know, no matter where you sit in American society, we we've been sold on this idea. I think since you and I were little kids that, that wasn't enough that it, you, the house, an automobile and food on the table wasn't enough. You needed more or you weren't successful. Right. And the, if people could start like shunning the bullshit that you needed everything under the sun, that if you didn't have, you know, a $70,000 car, you're not a success. And started accepting that having a stable life where 
you're not worried about where the next meal's coming from or if you're going to have a place to sleep and you know that place being free of cockroaches and like a certain level of decency to it right like living in the middle i think that if like that is a success and when you when everyone starts demanding more that that's not good enough you see the unhappiness that's inherent in our society now and the depression that goes along with it and you know like I've known some incredibly wealthy people. I lived in Las Vegas for 13 years. There's like a ridiculous amount of wealth that circulates through there. I've met, you know, a lot of people here in Utah with incredible amounts of wealth. And honestly, man, more of them are assholes than they are like people I'd want to spend any time with. So there isn't like this happiness that's inherent with accumulating massive amounts of wealth. Because I think that like part of the mindset that goes with that is that they can't ever be satisfied by anything. And so they keep chasing wealth because that's just what their attention has focused on. And well, it's, a, it's a deficit mentality. I mean, like, let's be honest. Yeah, it's like, like a scarcity mentality. There Absolutely. isn't enough. I got to chase it all down. Right. And I, I think that, you know, I've lived in a situation where. I've had to define what exactly is enough through some struggles of my own, through some bad decisions I made in my 20s. And some some of those bad decisions ultimately were some of the best decisions because they led me to a place to say, I won't be able to make up for that. So I'm going to have to learn what will lead me to feel like my life has been satisfying and whole. Right. Because I like I never chased the like high dollar career when I was very young. So here I am at 41 finishing nursing school, which, by the way, if anyone wants to know, nurses start at fifty thousand dollars a year in Utah. So it's not like I'm coming out going to just be stacking cash. (laughs) But I've learned how I've learned what I need in life and what I don't need in life and knowing what it is that I truly need to function to find growth and fulfillment. Notice I didn't say happiness because that's not the end game. Right. Well, and it's not guaranteed either. You know what I mean? No, like happiness is fleeting the same way that sadness is. Absolutely. But I know what, I know what those things are. And so literally like I've spent the last two years of my life chasing the middle, a very median income so that I can live a very median life. But because I'm not going to overspend, you know, I drive a 1999 Forerunner. It's worth probably like three grand or something. And I can I plan to continue driving that even when I'm out of school and we'll have some money back in my pocket because like I don't need for more. I might want for more at times. I'm not saying that I don't see like a fully built out you know, 2019 forerunner with like all kinds of overland capabilities and rooftop tents and everything else. Like I see those things and I'm like, yeah, that would be cool to have, but I'm very in check with like, well, what do I have to sacrifice? And do I want to make that sacrifice? Because that's going to alter my life and my path. 
and it's it's a conscious process of choosing the things that I want in my life and being very real about what needs are and what they aren't. And I think that this is a conversation that we all need to have with each other about what do we need? Because I think a lot of the anger comes from perceived needs where people think they need more. And so they're angry and pissed off because they don't know how they're going to get it. And if they slow down and really define their needs, they might realize like, I don't need to be pissed off about this thing over here because I don't actually need that. So I'm going to put more of my energy towards issues that really do matter. Well, I think it's a honest self-assessment too, because it's like maybe this thing that I'm mad about doesn't even pertain to me. You know what I mean? Like, I see a lot of that too, but dude, I think that what you're touching on right there, the needs versus wants mentality, the desire for more, the whole scarcity thing. I mean, if you really look at people, you'll see them. I remember it. I'm sure you do too. Being in your twenties, sitting at a bar, drinking a beer, knowing you're getting ready to party your ass off. And you're like, man, I'm so fucking broke, but you don't go home. You just sit there and you just keep throwing cash. So that you perpetuate the situation that you're in, you know? And now as I'm older, it's like, I'm not going out to try to impress anyone. You know, I'm going out to have the best time that I possibly can. And having the best time I possibly can means going home without guilt. So I'm not overspending. I'm not doing things that are going to make me wake up and regret them in the morning, you know? And I think that while that might look and feel like a good time in the moment, there is a debt deficit there. You know, there, there is a compromise for everything that we do. There is a, a cost and a reward or a, you know, if the reward is on the front end, the cost is on the back end. And I think that we need to just get more honest with ourselves about that cost to reward and the reward to cost, as well as the want to need. I mean, I think it all encompasses the same idea and the same vision of we don't need as much as we think we do. We don't have to go to the excesses that we think we do. And really, getting through the end of the day should always feel like a victory. Yeah, we've conflated excess with success. Absolutely. That's, dude, that is so fucking perfect because it's like, but you look at a lot of the people who are in that category of they have excess. Watch a lot of them. Pay real close attention to them because a lot of them are still angry. They're still mad. Yeah, and they don't feel successful because they never just they define their success by having excess. But when they got there, it was an empty thing because having excess can't fill up the inside. The outside is all material, but it's the inside that you have to start. You have to start to work to fill up. And you have to figure out and seek what it is that will fill the cup you're holding on the inside. I, it, I think I, I maybe I could be totally wrong, but that's what's been working for me to feel like I'm living a fulfilling life. Well, I'm about to go fill that cup right now. All right, buddy. It's, it's little man's eighth grade night. So I got to bounce and get over there to support him. But dude, this conversation was awesome. And I really, really appreciate you, your insights and, 